We're live. It is episode 67 of Stick to Hockey Live. Fix the hair. Fix up the flow there <laughs> a little bit, DeMarco. Uh, don't put the hat on. You got that hair. You got a nice flow going. I just cut it. I just cut it today. I hope you don't end up like me, brother. <laughs> no, honestly, I got a I got a three head going. So I think I'm yeah. safe for a while. Yeah, you do. I, your troops are not receding at all. Not uh, at all. And at Marco. <laughs> and honestly, at, at my age, as I'm gonna be 29 in later this month, now it's a flex at this age. That's when all the boys' salads start re, re, receding yeah. and the patoff thing starts going on in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So it's a big time flex for me that I have a salad this thick. Yeah, yeah. You got some lettuce up there. It's nice work. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, Anthony yeah. DeMarco from the fourth period.com who's been uh fucking dialed in, I'll tell you that. Jason Bertitas. Um, real quick before we get to this, some of the latest flyers news, we actually do have some fresh news. Um, something you've been talking about for weeks at this point, but uh, came uh, to fruition and became uh, official today. But um, Cup Final begins, what, tomorrow? I know people are really kind of peeved about this gap um, between conference finals. Look, there was a sweep, so that's part of it. And then the other series ended up going six. But, you know, I don't mind it, and here's why. I want the – for the guys that are playing for the Cup, Four rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs are an absolute beast on the body, the mind, energy, all of those things, the mental pressure, all of it that goes into it. If you're playing for the Cup, I don't mind a little extra break between the two because I want everybody to be as healthy as you can possibly be at this point, as well rested, because I want the quality of hockey to be as good as it can be at this point going through this grind of three rounds of the playoffs for both of these teams. I think that provide. I mean, my son the other night had a summer league game, second shift of the game, lost an edge, went into the board, slammed his knee. He still can't walk four days later. Like he's got this huge, disgusting, like brush burn on his kneecap. His knee is ballooned. And like, I can't imagine what these guys go through. So the break to me, while it breaks up the momentum of the playoffs a little bit, I'd rather see guys at their physical peak capability to play for the cup in the cup final than I would, you know, the, the essence of the momentum being lost a little bit of my interest in it. Yeah. Like I get that point for sure. And I, I just think that maybe you could have started it on Thursday just yeah. so you could be going into game two tomorrow night. But I do understand the point that you want to give Vegas at least I think they will have had five days off by the time we get going tomorrow. You know, maybe they could have made do with three days, but obviously Florida has been sitting on their hands for well over a week at this point. So I, I certainly understand it. Um, I understand why they wanted to do it. I do get it from a casual fan perspective where you kind of forget about it. Like you haven't seen yeah. Florida play in a week. You haven't seen a hockey game in five days. And now the, the NBA finals are starting, right? And I'm sure that kind of had to do with it, them strategically stre- uh, scheduling it around the NBA finals or not going up against it directly. But I also think the fact that you have these untraditional hockey markets has somewhat hurt the interest and not so much that the hardcore fan, because I think the hardcore fan will appreciate the team that Vegas is the team that uh, the team that Florida is before the casual fan, you're looking for the Crosby's the McDavid, the marquee teams like the Leafs and the Rangers and the Canadians. And we just haven't had that deep into the playoffs. Yeah. I think the other thing too is 
the thing that the element of these playoffs that is so pronounced to me is, you know, we talk about teams that are cup contenders, perennial cup contenders. And a lot of people poo poo that just get into the playoffs and see what can happen mentality. Cause that's not a recipe for success. Cause it hasn't been a recipe for success in Philadelphia since 2012. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is there is a team in Florida that literally backed their way in with a third string goalie and for it not being for the Penguins totally spit in the bit against Chicago and Columbus. They're not in They're, This magical run doesn't even happen. The fact that the Penguins choked as badly as they did is what led to Florida being the team that's going to represent the Eastern conference. Cause if the Penguins just took care of business against a dog shit team, kept their supposed 17-year streak alive. They, Florida's not even in the playoffs. And that's the crazy thing about it, about just how things fall at the end of the day, where yeah. I think if it's Pittsburgh won against Chicago, they would have been in the playoffs, and yep. Florida would have been out. And Chicago, we know how bad they were. They were the third worst team in the NHL this year. They wind up with the first overall pick, and Pittsburgh cannot beat them down the stretch to lock in a playoff spot. And then next thing you know, nobody's giving them a nobody's giving them a better chance than a snowball's chance in hell to beat the Boston Bruins. I predicted a sweep, and next thing you know, they haven't lost a game since Game Four of the first round, or they've lost one game since Game Four of the first round. It's absolutely nuts. They're what like eleven and one since then. It's absolutely yep. crazy the run they've they've gone on. But Florida's been a very unpredictable team. Going back to last season, to be honest, like I predicted them before the season started to win the Atlantic division. That was my pick. Then the wheels completely come off in between the pipes, whether it was Bobrovsky, whether it was Spencer Knight. They go down the stretch limping with Alex Lyon. Alex Lyon starts the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you get John, uh, you get John Wick in the form of Sergei Bobrovsky come back into the net and start playing like completely lights out isn't his save percentage like over 960 since he came back into the net in the yeah. playoffs so 11 I and think, one exactly so i i think that the unpredictable the unpredictability of the florida panthers has been because of their goaltending because you looked at a lot of their underlying numbers this season where they should have been winning games that they were losing but they were losing because of poor goaltending and then all of a sudden, their $10.5 million goaltender starts giving them $10.5 million goaltending or $10 million goaltending, whatever it is. And now they look like a formidable Stanley Cup team, which I think a lot of people would have predicted them to be going into this season. I think I'm going to have to do a JM Media Productions. That's my company, by the way. That's what's <laughs> on this podcast and all my other assorted uh uh, on-demand ventures. I'm going to have to do a documentary on that Penguins Blackhawks game and the fallout therein. The because, yeah, because the Penguins don't make the playoffs. Their whole front office gets blown up. Chris Pryor, Ron Hextall, Brian Burke. I don't know if they would have been kept if they made the playoffs anyway, but because Florida gets in and then Florida just waxes Toronto, they end up firing Dubas. And Dubas ends up in Pittsburgh as the president of hockey operations. Crazy. Uh, and, you know, Pittsburgh, or rather, Tree Living now ends up, and Calgary's involved here with Kachuk and everything, too, in Tree Living, and he ends up in Toronto. And it's the, the like, the, 
the amount of ramifications and things that are entangled in this entire mess because the Penguins lost to the Blackhawks and the Blackhawks end up in some way three ends up winning the lottery to get Bedard. Yeah, it's not the worst team, right? I mean, it is fucking bananas. I'm going to have to do a whole thing five years down the road, like the, the ramifications of that April game at PPG Paints Arena where the Penguins lost on home ice to the Chicago Blackhawks. It's just crazy. No, but it's anyway, absolutely nuts. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's completely nuts. And it goes to show you that, and I, I hate this this kind of ideology because I think it's kind of like a way to justify like dragging your ass through the regular season. But it really does go to show like get in and anything can happen. I don't yeah. think that you should live by that, but it shows that once in a while it can very well occur. Yeah, be a team that's going to get in rather easily, not the way Florida got in this year, but be one of those teams that's a, a playoff team every year, and you you hope to capture one of these type of runs in one out of every three or four of those. So that maybe that's the, the ticket. Um, let's get to the news of the day because uh, I got a press release, as did just about everybody, at 10.01 this morning, three hours ago and change. And I didn't know if I was reading a Philadelphia Flyers press release or I was reading an Anthony DeMarco story on the fourth period.com because <laughs> uh, I felt like I was having deja vu here. Uh, but the Flyers announced some staff changes today. They announced that uh, the club had the Flyers to have promoted Alan McCauley to the assistant general manager position, Riley Armstrong to the director of player development, and Nick Schultz to the assistant director of player development. These are all according to Danny Briere. Uh, of course, there comes... Uh, you know, some some people that lose their job in addition to this, and that includes uh, Mike O'Connell, John Riley, and Shell Samuelson. They have been relieved of their duties. So some new structure here, and this is something you've been talking about, uh, Alan McCauley now, for months. And I know you had said a couple of times they're not ready to announce this yet, and they're working on the structure. You mentioned uh, a lot about changes to player development over the last couple of weeks. No shock to you what was announced today. No, not at all. Like, this is something that I had heard a few weeks back that they wanted to tackle player development. And then about a week ago, I started hearing rumblings that some changes were being made. Mike O'Connell's name was first uh, said to me, then it was John um, Riley. And then I actually heard Shell Samuelson well before. I think there was a lot of smoke around the team about Shell Samuelson, but I, I wasn't able to confirm it. But then uh, Tony Androkaitis, who covers the, uh, or Androkaitis, I'm sorry if I'm butchering the, the last name pronunciation, he uh, he kind of furthered my report on Wednesday, and he alluded to the fact that Shell Samuelson, who's been with the team forever in player development, was one of the other ones who was going to be losing his job. So not a big surprise, Riley Armstrong takes over as director of player development, and it was interesting to me. I don't think they had an official director of player development. I think by default, it was kind of Mike O'Connell who had the senior advisor tag along with player development. But I do think that he had been considering retirement over the last 12 months anyway. So I don't think it's like a major, major shock that he was let go. And Riley Armstrong comes in. He's still a young guy obviously for, uh, formerly serving as the assistant coach to the uh, Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And Nick Schultz, it becomes the assistant uh, director to player development. So it really feels like they want to establish a new hierarchy 
in uh, player development, obviously a point of concern for this team going back to the Raw and Hextall days. And as for Alan McCauley, he gets an official title change. I was told that it was going to be maybe further towards the draft. They decided to expedite that process uh, in the span of a couple days. They slapped the assistant GM tag onto him. Now the Flyers have three assistant general managers, and he takes over the uh, the hockey um, operations duties with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, which unofficially was handled by Brent Flair before and officially handled by Danny Breer and Chuck Fletcher before him. So, I mean, they're clearly trying to reconfigure the way that front office is structured, and they clearly are zeroing zeroing in on the guys in the AHL and their player development. And and look, Mike O'Connell, he's come on Flyers Daily before, was a great guy to talk to, um, and he's retirement age. John Riley's been around forever. Like you mentioned, Shell Samuel's been around forever. Um, I don't think it can be lost that all three of these guys are young men. Uh, much more in line with the way the game is played today in their formative years than the latter. Because, you know, like Riley Armstrong is Colby Armstrong's brother. I think he's in his mid-40s or maybe even in his 30s, like 38. So, um, you know, you certainly see the the general manager, Danny Breer and Keith Jones, uh, kind of putting a staff in place that more resembles where the game is, a young man's game and putting their stamp on a new new front office. Yeah, and I think that the promotion of Alan McCauley is very uh is is pretty noteworthy because it's the first time that they're going to have like a guy officially managing the Phantoms. I think the exact term they said will be like I forget what it, they exactly worded in the press release, but it's the first time they're going to have a quasi GM solely for the Phantoms since I believe it was John Paddock back in the Paul yeah. Holmgren days. And I think the main reason for this, and this is more me like connecting dots and like based off conversations I've had, is that I think that in the Chuck Fletcher regime, there was too much on people's plates. I think for Chuck Fletcher, you saw him taking on the responsibilities of president and GM and everything that goes with those two positions. But I also think for Brent Flair, who was Chuck Fletcher's right-hand man, who oversees amateur scouting, who travels a lot to like track all these players coming up for the draft in any specific year and dealing with the phantoms in an unofficial capacity. Now, officially it's Chuck Fletcher or, or was Chuck Fletcher and it was Dave Breer. But I do think that a lot of this responsibility would fall on Brent Flair at times. And, you know, he was also helping out with the NHL stuff. So I think that now what you're doing is you're taking some of that responsibility off of Brent Flair, have him focus solely on amateur scouting, and you have Alan McCauley take over pro scouting and over the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And I think that by doing this, you could properly give people not too much on their plates. Because I do think under the Chuck Fletcher regime, people's plates were overloaded at times with too much responsibility. Yeah, Alan McCauley is a guy who played in the league a long time, played, what, nine seasons in the NHL? Yeah. Um, he, here's kind of uh, the, the rundown on him. He was drafted fourth overall, or in the fourth round, 79th overall back in the 95 draft. Uh, he played for Toronto. He ended up playing 304 games for the Leafs over six years at 82 points. He played uh, three years in San Jose, had 83 points there in 174 games and played one year with the Los Angeles Kings. All he said and done, nine years, 488 games, 166 points in the NHL. 
and retired back in the 06-07 season. He's kind of been, you know, a bit of a rising star, 46 years of age, and a guy that uh, has really impressed kind of at every stop as he climbs the ladder. Like, he's going to be a GM one day. Where, I don't know, but he's going to be a GM one day. He's just one of those guys that's thought of really well in hockey circles. And I think he's going to keep on his, because I'm looking at the official release right now about what they're officially tagging with him with. I think he's going to keep his player personnel responsibilities and take over the hockey operations staff in Lehigh Valley, in addition to the pro scouting. And the pro scouting thing is very interesting to me because I think that's one part of the Flyers organization front office that hasn't really been spoken about. And like they're, Pro, their head pro scout right now is Dave Brown. And I wonder what this could mean for Dave Brown. Now, you know, uh, just overseeing the pro scouting is different from being the head pro scout. But I'm curious to see if they start tackling their pro scouting uh, next. Because, I mean, I don't think that's been a major issue for the Flyers. Like, I can't think of like a, I, I can't really think of a scenario where pro scouting was really in the in the crosshairs and something that people were really zeroing in on. I really do think it's been more at the amateur level and developing and what's been going on in Lehigh. But I did find it interesting to see that he's taking over pro scouting in addition to all of his other new responsibilities. Yeah, and player development was certainly a fan gripe and Lehigh. Mm-hmm. But after this past season, I think people have a kind of a renewed confidence in what's going on in Lehigh because everybody that came from Lehigh this year, whether they started in Lehigh or went from the Flyers down to Lehigh and came back, everybody came back better than they were. You saw yeah. the development of Tyson Forster this year. You saw, you know, guys, Ronnie Adder was so, so brief. And so was Adam Yinning, but you saw a guy in Cam York start the season down there and came back much better, much more prepared. Zamula started the season with the Flyers, went down, came back, looked much more prepared to play at the NHL level. Um, so I think people are feeling a lot more confident there. And I remember when I had Lappy on, he said that Danny wants just about everybody, you know, short of a guy that's just taken it straight to the NHL to spend some time with Ian LaPerriere with the Phantoms to get him ready to play the pro game. So I think that's important too. There's a little bit of patience there. Um, you know, you mentioned that there, there could be other moves. Usually these kind of things are all kind of released at the same time and usually released a little bit later, right after the draft, the, just to kind of fill people in the hockey NHL calendar basically goes July 1st to June 30th contracts expire for staff coaches, scouts and all that usually on June 30th. And they, and stuff gets announced after that. You surprised this came a little early and, that they're kind of maybe more coming and they tackled this one area now, and maybe it's on to the next thing next. Well, I think in the case of Alan McCauley, this had been discussed going back to March, as I think the first time I tweeted about it was like the end of March or whatever. So I, I wasn't really surprised about that because that's kind of like an in-house thing. As far as Mike O'Connell and John Riley and Shell Samuelson, I think that maybe that was because out of respect, they want they didn't want to keep these guys in the wind. Because the thing is that they've made no exterior hires. These all have been from internal promotions to this point. Like Riley Armstrong, Nick Schultz, Alan McCauley. Like, so they haven't really had to wait for someone else's contract to expire with another team and then bring him over. So I think that's worked to their advantage. Now, in the case of, let's say, some higher ranking executives that people have been curious about, most notably Brent Flair and uh, Barry Hanrahan. Maybe that 
is going to be something that gets tackled in July. You know, there. I in the case of Brent Flair, obviously a lot of people started asking about him today. I don't know if this directly, and obviously we're talking about the Alan McCauley promotion. I don't know if this directly impacts Brent Flair in any way because Alan McCauley's taking over the 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 pro scouting, and Brent Flair still oversees the amateur scouting and the draft. Obviously, now Lehigh Valley is no longer Brent Flair's responsibility. You could look at that as a positive or a negative. I, I think that Brent Flair is safer now. That's the sense I've gotten because I do think he's done his job well. Like, I mean, you take away the fact that he was Chuck Fletcher's right-hand man. There's really not a lot of blood on Brent Flair's hands. And I think that what you saw in Lehigh Valley in terms of the player talent kind of helped Brent Flair's case a lot. And then we're going to see more next year when you get more graduations, what some of his work uh, has paid off in. In the case of Barry Hanrahan, I mean, I can't get a... Like, there's some people telling me that he's in trouble. There's other people telling me that he has the support of Danny Bruyere. There's other people saying that he... He has the support of his direct bosses in hockey ops, but there's people above hockey ops that want to get rid of him. Obviously, he's been around for now his fourth general manager. I think he took over in 05 during the lockout, uh, if I'm not mistaken, as the capologist for the team. He's kind of guilty by association. I do think that some of the blame gets thrown too much at him because, yes, he structures the contracts, but he's not the one really giving out the money and deciding who gets what that's the job of the general manager but i i i i've always thought that when there's enough smoke there's fire and i think that there's at least some conversations going around about what they're going to do with barry hanrahan i just don't know if they've made a final decision on it okay so that'd be something that would maybe would more happen on that league calendar uh situation if there yeah. is something to happen there um yeah Riley Armstrong also has a connection, by the way, with Danny Breer back to Maine. He was the head coach of the oh, Maine okay. Mariners for a couple of years when Danny was running that back in the 18, 19, and 19, 20 season, and then moved to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms bench in the 21, 22, and then obviously this past year as well. Uh, made it into two NHL games. Uh, he played his two NHL games for the San Jose Sharks back in 08, 09. Spent a lot of his career in the AHL, a little bit overseas in the Swedish league, played in the East Coast league, played for Reading, as a matter of fact. That's where he wrapped up in 15-16 uh, with 26 games, playing for the Reading Royals, um, and is 38 years of age. So um, he is now uh, the director of player development, along with, as you mentioned, Nick Schultz, played over a 1,000 NHL games. Real good guy, Nick Schultz, too. He jumped in on the bench uh, for a period when Aline Vigneault was fired, along with Mike Yo. Yeah, has kind yeah. of filled a bunch of different roles and um, has a lot of experience to lean on as well. So, uh, Nick Schultz, uh, congrats to him. Um, let's talk about Pittsburgh's uh, situation. They hire Kyle Dubas to be the president of hockey operations, and now they got to find a general manager. But, I mean, that seems like like it would probably be a neuter general manager position because I get the sense that Kyle Dubas is the one going to be handling the GM duties, even though he's the president there. But he's got an impossible task. Um, you know, they must have really paid him well. Because I look at that Pittsburgh job, and yeah, it's one of 32. There's only 32 of those jobs. But boy, is that just a really hard – you've really put yourself in a position to not look good. I think it's why some guys took themselves out of consideration there really quickly because the situation with Latang, Malkin, and Crosby all aging and all under contract is not a great one with a lot, a lot of assets. 
he's I, I don't think we're surprised that Dubas ends up there, but he's surprised that he's the president and who's a likely GM candidate there to join him. Well, th- there had been there had I think Spezza will go there in some capacity. I don't know if Spets yeah. is ready to be a general manager. You know, he's a yeah, year. Dubas post- is going to be the GM anyway. He'll be the GM in training. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Dubas is basically now running the show in Pittsburgh, and obviously yep. the Fenway Sports Group very analytically driven. Started in baseball, younger, forward thinking analytical mind in Kyle Dubas. See, that's, so fun. I, that's such a contradiction though, Amp, because the, the, the Fenway sports group are the ones that insisted they signed Malkin and Latang, which was, could not have been analytically driven and young thinking and savvy. Like they should have moved on. Like th- that's the thing in sports. Like loyalty is not a, a, a recipe for success. Get a guy, get his best years, move on when he's on the decline and don't hang on to nostalgia. They hung on to nostalgia because Crosby wanted it. I agree. And you just said the magic word. Crosby wanted it. I think Sid, like Kyle Dubas mentioned that he met with Sidney Crosby and Mike Sullivan. Like Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby are very big power brokers in that organization. And it felt like when the Fenway Sports Group bought it from uh, Mario Lemieux and I think it was his name, Morehouse. David Morehouse, was that Mm the old owner's name? Correct. And um, there's another name that I'm forgetting. Uh, no, no, I'm thinking of the, the Islanders owners. But they hitched their wagon to Sullivan and Crosby as opposed to Brian Burke and Ron Hexel, who had just been brought in place by the previous ownership group. So you have basically committed to run this core into the ground. Whether you disagree or you agree, that's the way that the ownership has committed to because that they've agreed to beat to the to walk to the beat of the drum of uh crosby and mike sullivan so now you bring in kyle dubas to oversee the entire hockey operations department i do think that uh, jason spezza will go there in some capacity and then aside from that who's gonna be the next gm like you heard names tied there mark bergevin jason botterhill i wonder about cami granado as well but it is yeah, interesting not going to, there me. to work under Dubis. You don't uh, think so? No. Well, I mean, yes. So I, it's going to be interesting to see. Maybe it's Jason Spezza. I think that would be kind of out loud left field. But again, like you have a coach here, Mike Sullivan, who, in my opinion, is by far the most powerful coach in the NHL with John Tortorella maybe coming up on him as a close second. But it is certainly an interesting structure as to how Pittsburgh has gone about this. Yeah, and and we'll see. Like Mike Sullivan's got all to me. He's got all the confidence in the world. I would think moving forward. I think he's a really good coach. Like I don't think new GM. He's in any kind of. Hey, I want to bring in his own guys. Looks like Sheldon Keith will probably stay in Toronto for the year. I would imagine. Um. So we'll see where that all goes. But I just think that that's a job of diminishing returns. You know that that's the thing I'd be scared of. And look, we'll see if boy genius Kyle Dubas can get it done there. Do what he more than he did uh, with Toronto, winning all those regular season games and great record and all that, but play, lack of playoff success. Penguins haven't won a playoff series, frankly, since they won their second cup in the back-to-back cups. They haven't won yeah, a playoff it's, series. It's been it's been a tough ride in Pittsburgh, and look, it's hard to yeah. say that because it was like almost a decade of dominance to them, and then they continued to make the playoffs and be a competitive team, but. 
in my opinion, you got about two more seasons before the Titanic before the Titanic hits the iceberg. In my yeah. opinion, it may I, have hit the iceberg already. They just don't know it. They may be taking. Yeah, I mean, you you could. Yeah, it's weird because I think I think Hexy had his hands tied a bit, but I also I think the moves he made just absolutely fucked them even more. In part of my language, but like that, you know, the Michael Granlin thing to me. Like yeah. that is just, I couldn't, I just don't under, maybe he did it as a parting gift to just be like, you know, go screw yourselves. Like you wanted me to do this, I'll do it. But yeah, he was brought in to do one job and then they, the sale happens and they pivot and they wanted him to do a different job. So it was a little bit of bait and switch there. I don't think intentional, but um, he definitely was not brought in to resign Latang and resign Malkin. He was brought in to forge a new path and, and he didn't get a chance to do that. Now the story comes out and there's a lot of dirty laundry in there and it's ugly, but. Um, I, I don't think that I think he's got culpability there, but I don't think he ha- gets all of it. I think there's some extenuating circumstances as well. People, oh, apologies for, for Hexy, blah, blah, blah. I just I think he was brought in to do one job and wasn't allowed to do it. But anyway, the only thing um, that well, there, I have a few criticism about Hexy, but I think that the one thing, a trend that I've realized with him uh, in Philadelphia and then to Pittsburgh is that he has trouble adapting if his plan isn't going as planned, for lack of better terms. Like if he has to, yeah, if he yeah. has to pivot, he doesn't know what to do. And I think yeah. that you saw that in Philadelphia where, you know, when by the time you got to 2017, like you were ready to start adding because you mm. still had some prime years left as Jeroen Voracek, Katori took a major step, Provorov and Konechny became you know, prominent players before maybe expected, but then he didn't because he had a plan that no, we can't keep start competing before X year. And I think with Pittsburgh, you know, there was a bait and switch a hundred percent with the new ownership coming in after him being brought in as general manager. But you just have seen in Philly and in Pittsburgh when he can't follow his plan that he mapped out well in advance, everything kind of falls apart. Yeah. And then the personality has a problem too. He's inflexible. Is, is kind of what it is. All right. Well, there's a lot going on. We're ticking down the days to the uh, NHL draft. Keep it short today. There's not a tongue going on. Uh, before we get out of here, Ant, let's uh, get a cup final prediction. Who do you have? It is the second appearance in the Stanley Cup finals in, what, seven seasons for the Vegas Golden Knights. And it is the Florida Panthers who haven't been to a cup final since 96 with John Van Beesbrook in the goal. Scott Mellenby was on that team when the Rats were kind of uh, developed. Who do you have between the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights hoisting the chalice of Lord Stanley's Cup? I'm going to go with Vegas. I just think that the Cinderella story is going to kind of come to an end. And it kind of feels like the stars are finally aligning for Vegas. Like you said, the second time good, in man. six years. You know, they've been to the, to the the conference final or deeper in every season, but one since their existence or something crazy like that. Um, obviously last year they missed the playoffs in large part due to injury, but now, you know, you have Jack Eichel cooking, you have a hot goalie in Aiden Hill, that blue line. And I think it's proven to be one of the best in the NHL. I think Alex Petrangelo's refound his game back to maybe his St. Louis day, Shea Theodore. You have some monsters back there in like Nicola Haig, Alec Martinez. He's won a cup with LA. Um, you also got Braden McNabb and other big bodies, Zach Whitecloud, a good bottom pair defenseman. And then you get that those pack of animals on their fourth line with Hua and Cartier and uh, Colasar. 
a lot of good Quebecois represented on uh, Vegas, which is cool to see with Marchessault as well. But uh, no, I think that it's it feels like it's Vegas's time. It just feels like it's their time. It's no slight against the um, against the uh, the Cats, but I think that Vegas's defense with their size and physicality are probably well set up to deal with the heavy forecheck of uh, the Florida uh, forwards. Okay, I'm going with the Panthers in seven. So I'll oh, take okay. Bobrovsky with the Con Smythe. And because Pittsburgh lost that game against Chicago in the final week of the ceiling season, rather, it'll put the Panthers with the cup and it'll put Sergey Bobrovsky in the NHL Hall of Fame because he's going to win a cup and he's going to get a Con Smythe. There you he go. might win a Con Smythe either way. Like, yeah. to be fair, he could he could win it in a losing effort. There's no doubt. He could right, pull let's the Jair Hextall. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's episode 67. That's Anthony DeMarco. Uh, read his stuff on the fourthperiod.com. Follow him on Twitter at ADEMARCO25 if you're not already. If you're not, you're a fool because he's got the goods and he was way ahead on all these uh, announcements of Riley Armstrong, Alan McCauley, and uh, the changes with the Philadelphia Flyers. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next week as the Cup Final will continue. We'll talk to you next week on a brand new episode of Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great weekend, everybody.